Hello, and wow, I'm excited to be introducing the 50th episode, yes, the 50th episode of the Food Focus Podcast. My name is Mike Von Massow, and this is episode 50. We're thrilled to have made this significant milestone, and we look forward to having many more episodes. I'm also excited that my guest for this special episode is Chef Pam Fanjoy. Pam and I actually had a long conversation, and this episode is the first half of that conversation. Chef is an award-winning chef. She won one of my favorite shows, Chopped Canada, but also a therapist and social worker who uses food and cooking to help people with issues beyond the kitchen. Hers is a remarkable story. In this episode, we talk about her start and her food business particularly. We hear about her philosophy and how she has built resilience into her business, which has helped her weather the COVID storm. As always, we are gratified for our listeners. Your support and interest has facilitated our growth. We'd love you to provide a review so others can find us. Complete a review wherever you get your podcasts. But now, without further delay, here's the first half of my conversation with Chef Pam Fanjoy. Well, Pam, uh, it's great to, to have you here today, and I appreciate you taking the time with during what I expect is uh, both interesting and trying times. Uh, I'm very excited to be with you this morning, Mike. Thank you for having me. And uh, certainly it is trying times, and interviews like this, being able to connect about meaningful things, make things seem a lot easier. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of your food business about, you know, you you have a restaurant. I'd like to talk to you sort of a little bit about life before COVID and then talk about how how you've pivoted in the face of the challenges that, that COVID has brought. Because I think we hear these broad stories about challenges in the restaurant industry, but really the challenges are different in many cases for each individual operation. So I really thought bringing sort of an individual story to bear might be interesting for our listeners. Yes, wonderful, Mike. Uh, I'm glad to be here this morning with you. And and I like the idea of talking about both the challenges in the industry as a whole for restaurateurs and their staff, as well as the fact that every restaurant is also different depending on the community that they're in, the clients they service, and the actual food that they're producing, as well as where their suppliers are coming from. Tell me a little bit about your restaurant, Fanjoy, that where you were sort of a year ago now. So I opened my restaurant, Fanjoy, in the rural village of Hillsburg, uh, close by Erin, about a half an hour east of Guelph in 2016. So we were a fairly young restaurant before COVID hit in our third year. And being in a rural community, my restaurant really has always from the beginning been both a local hub for the local folks, but also a destination restaurant for people coming predominantly from the GTA, looking for a culinary experience that is different than they could get in the big city, but with similarly high quality international cuisine. So a year before uh, COVID, we were really just starting to find our stride here in this new space. And it's a small restaurant, 30 seats. The restaurant has always been more than just a restaurant to me. 
As you may know, but many of our listeners might not, I come from a background as a clinical social worker and family therapist. So when I got into the culinary business, it was really at the beginning just because I was interested in picking up a hobby that I knew nothing about and cooking was something I never really grew up with. So I went back to George Brown College in my 40s, and and it ended up taking on a life of its own. And within five years, I had a food business uh, culinary marketplace in Erin, Ontario, and my customers were increasingly wanting me to open a restaurant. I think that's really that's really cool, Pam. You and I have sort of a similar career path. I sort of changed gears in my 40s and went back to do a PhD and became an academic. Mm -hmm. It's always cool for me to hear people who sort of took on a new challenge or a new venture, a new skill. I won't say later in life. I'll give us both some credit (laughs) here, but but, but, but I'll say sort of mid-career. Right. Well, I think where it became relevant for me right before the pandemic, Mike, is that having come from a very different professional life before becoming a chef and a restaurateur, I really came with fresh eyes to the industry and a different perspective, perhaps, from what people who've lived the restaurant life right from a younger age have. And I saw inherent struggles that I think now are really starting to emerge in the mainstream news as problems within the restaurant industry that I personally was having trouble with, Either, even though from all perspectives from the outside, people would have said that Fanjoy was a destination restaurant, it was becoming a hot spot, I was becoming a rising female chef in the Canadian culinary scene after winning Chop Canada in 2016 and being on Firemasters this year. Everything from the outside looked like it was going okay. What I was experiencing as a restaurateur from a business perspective is that it's notoriously a very challenging industry. Uh, And I think that's worth talking a little bit more about if we could. That's exactly the kind of conversation I was hoping we would have. You know, the things that I saw pretty quickly after opening my restaurant was that the profit margins running a restaurant are are very challenging. They run five to 10% if you're really efficient and doing a good job. That that's at the high end, I think, of of the average. That's the very high end. Yeah. You gotta be doing a really good job. Food waste and food security have always been a big concern for me as a social worker in the early years of my career. And when I got into the food business and then opened a restaurant, I really saw how challenging food waste is because you order in anticipating a certain uh, restaurant service, a certain number of customers. And we always try to support our local farmers. I cook seasonally as a chef. Uh, Our menus are constantly evolving. We had a number of farmers that we bought CSA shares from. So every week we would literally go to the farm and we would get what was in season. And then I would craft my menus for that weekend based on what I got from the farm that was both fresh, but also helping to support their businesses. And you do that and there's a bit of a 
you know, really a crapshoot. You you base your quantities on what your previous sales have been and you don't necessarily know if that's how many customers are going to end up in your restaurant that weekend. And then you've got perhaps food that was not sold or utilized or ordered and you need to do something with it. So that very early on in my restaurant career was something that I had a keen interest in and a real commitment to figuring out a solution for it because I didn't want to become part of the problem. So what we did was in 2014, when I opened my first cafe in Aaron, and then increasingly when I opened the restaurant Fanjoy in Hillsburg, we created a circular uh, way of rotating our produce first and then figured out how to do it with proteins like meat and seafood so that they went into my gourmet-to-go meals. Um, So we have a product line here that I've been selling since 2014, where we have fully prepared meals from entrees, soups, um, and side dishes that are both fresh and frozen. And that really has been our saving grace in the pandemic because as I shut my restaurant down during the first wave of COVID in March, I was able to fairly easily swing to increasing my production of my gourmet to go meals. And that really has been our big pivot here in the last uh, 10 months. So that was a diversification strategy that you had even before, even before COVID hit, that you had not only the restaurant, but you had this buffer volume, or I mean, I, I wouldn't even call it buffer volume. You had this alternate gourmet meals to go business that allowed you not only to sort of stabilize incomes and augment incomes, but also to manage inventories of food, which are a significant challenge for any restaurant. Exactly. And it helped me with my profit margin. The other thing it did, I think when I became involved in uh, the food business as a social worker, one of the things I was deeply disturbed about was the quality of life and the pay for staff. So I saw that in this industry, there's a lot of people who are working poor, either working towards having their post-secondary education or without a post-secondary education. And they, of course, are earning you know anywhere between server minimum and if they're blessed, uh, $14 an hour and relying on tips. And that was something I really personally struggled with from an ethical perspective in the first couple of years. And so we have worked hard here at Fanjoy to come up with solutions that work despite the low profit margins in the food business. That's interesting. I I couldn't agree more. I think one of the sort of overlooked issues in food service are particularly in kitchens, I would argue. Uh, we, we, can, we can get into tipping, which I've done some work on, uh, maybe in another conversation. But particularly in kitchens, we have people who are, are not, in most cases, even making a living wage. Right. So we, uh, we became committed to un- first understanding what a living wage is 
uh, in 2018, just before the last year pre-pandemic. And I worked with Living Wage Ontario and decided that we were going to make a commitment to that. I had, as soon as I opened the restaurant here in 2016, I wanted to move to a no tipping model. And I'm happy to have that conversation aside from this one today, anytime. But we were certified as a living wage employer in 2019 in January. And it's been a commitment of ours. I think one of the reasons I became diversified as a food business early on was because I live in a rural community. And not only do most restaurants take a huge slowdown and hit in their revenue stream between January and April of any year, but in rural areas, especially where you're relying on tourists to carry your profit, it it's really difficult. And I didn't want to lay my staff off in the winter times. So I decided to pay higher wages early on. And now we are a living wage employer, which means essentially every year we look to the living wage um, organization to set what that is. And so now our, our staff make $18 an hour here to start. We do offer benefits, and and that's not an easy swing to make. It's a great thing, but it's hard. One of the reasons it doesn't happen more is it's hard to do within the current business model of restaurants. Yeah, it's brutal. And so I had decided um, that the only way that we could do that was to have multiple revenue streams so that I didn't, first of all, have to fall into that very normative cycle of laying staff off four to six months of a year which does not help with a healthy lifestyle for anyone, frankly. No. And secondly, I decided that I didn't want to depend 100% on my restaurant revenue to determine how much revenue was coming into the business in any given week or at any given month. So we have four main revenue streams and then a fifth revenue stream. So the first, the, the main four food revenue streams are the restaurant, the gourmet-to-go meals, the catering division, and our country marketplace here where we resell fine foods and support local food producers who are really just starting out in their businesses to highlight their products to tourists and uh, locals who want small batch fine foods that they can't get in regular grocery stores. The fifth line of income that became just a natural extension for me as a social worker was my culinary programs, uh, including my junior chef program. So my diversification of the business model was happening long before COVID. And honestly, I think it's the only thing that saved me in line with having a good customer base before COVID hit and the support of that those customers have brought forward. I think that that point is profoundly important. To me, a big part of what differentiates restaurants is their role in the community. We have sort of purely transactional restaurants and there's nothing wrong with them. Right. Uh, you know, many chain restaurants do a very good job, but when we have sort of unique, small or large, but but very much independent restaurants that are embedded in communities, I think that embeddedness has been 
profoundly important for many restaurants because people care yeah. how you do. And, and you know, you're, you're a destination that in the local community and, and an institution. And I think that that's, that's provided some resilience. Now, in your case, as a smaller restaurant, in a smaller community, I mean, there are challenges that go with that. There's only so many people to come in through the door. So that diversification strategy has been been profoundly important. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's great to have your customers that are, are willing to continue supporting you. But I think the reality out there now is we're into, you know, 10 months of a pandemic is that many, many people are feeling the hit to their own personal finances and their pocketbooks. And they're also afraid to go out now. They're they're getting used to being isolated at home and they're uncertain and they're weary. And so um, the whole face of restaurants, I think, is going to be changed fundamentally forever. We're not going back to what was. And we were never just a restaurant here. I had the luxury being in a small rural community. And of course, with my background as a social worker, my restaurant really was a community hub. It was a place for people to gather. And hospitality in and of itself as an industry is about creating an experience of connection, whether it's between a couple, a family, a business group of associates. When you go out to dine, it is about the experience that you're having with that interaction together. And that's what's lost with takeout. I couldn't agree more. It is about the atmosphere. It is about the community. It is about being with people that you like. If it's your favorite restaurant, it's about also your interactions with the staff. Absolutely. uh, And the familiarity. I mean, some of my fondest restaurant memories are of the interaction I had with the people who worked there. Exactly. And, you know, for a lot of people, especially uh, people who are living alone or who are young professionals at school, you know, they have a favorite hotspot that they go to once, twice a week. And it is exactly that. It's about being able to walk into a space and knowing that someone knows your name and that someone wonders how your week has been and is happy to welcome you back. And I think what that's done in terms of how we are seeing restaurants pivot or determine that they're going to close down is for some restaurants and restaurateurs, they don't want to do the takeout gig. They don't want to get into this whole other way of servicing customers because that's not what they've spent their life doing and their training and their passion committed to. So I think we're seeing a lot of different segments of restaurateurs have to make really, really hard decisions about whether to pivot, continue the pivot they've started, or completely close down. And all of those decisions are not, they're absolutely fundamentally impacted by financial stress not having the support that restaurateurs need from the government right now, but they are also fundamentally, I believe, being impacted by the philosophy that many restaurateurs have built their whole restaurant business on, which is hospitality. Yeah, I can't wait till my friend Bruce hears this because it sounds like what he tells me about restaurants and hospitality just coming out of your mouth. And so it's good to hear someone else say, you know, fundamentally, 
that it's not just about the food. It is about the experience and about that exchange and about that community that that is critical for restaurants. And that's not even considering the fact that for many restaurants, there's a reason, both financial, that there isn't the margin there, but also by the nature of the food, some food just doesn't travel as well as other food. (laughs) Yeah, that's been a bit of a nightmare, frankly, because even though I have my gourmet to go uh, meal lineup, and I've been doing that business for a few years now, to try and take a restaurant menu and figure out packaging yep. and how to make, you know, a steak dinner travel well hot. It's been very interesting to me through the month of December to see that a lot of restaurants now are actually moving to a heat and reserve model, which is what we've been doing here. Instead of trying to do traditional quote unquote takeout, where you pick it up hot, ready to go, you pre-order now more and more. And you pick it up and you reheat it at home. Yeah. Part of that is because the food quality that you can produce is far more consistent and predictable when you do that. And these are the things the average consumer has just really uh, understandably no concept about. They have no idea uh, the extent to which restaurants are having to juggle so many different pieces of the equation to make a product that is worth your dollar. Yeah. And will make that person proud and make that customer want to come back and eat with you again. Right. Exactly. And we all have to maintain our brand standards too, right? And mm-hmm. and that's hard to do when a lot of your brand is based on the atmosphere and the experience that you've created, not just the food. So I think restaurateurs have done an insurmountable job of trying to figure out a very challenging situation and are very grateful for those customers that have been patient and kind of helped them along the way. And But it's, it's a difficult position and certainly for staff that have been laid off and gone through the very tumultuous months of not knowing whether they're being called back, what their next job is going to look like if they're not called back or the restaurant goes under, you know, it just goes on and on and on and on. We're getting to the end of the time that I promised I would take. Uh, and and I'm, I'm going to have you back to talk about your junior chef program and your culinary classes and I'm looking forward to that discussion, but but I can't help myself, frankly. And I and I'm going to ask you the question: How do you or how did you deal with tipping at Fanjoy? You you brought it up, and it's just an issue so close to my heart. I, I can't help myself but ask. So it's a very close to my heart issue too. So I'll try and make this brief, as I said, <laughs> uh, knowing we may need to have another show on this. Yeah. In 2016, when I opened my restaurant, I didn't want any tipping. I was already paying my staff $14 an hour and everyone got the same pay, whether they were what we traditionally call front of house, meaning servers, or whether they were kitchen staff or whether they were dishwashers or cleaners. It didn't matter to me. If you're a team, you should all be getting the same amount of money and you should all be working together to create an exceptional customer experience. And no customer should have a different experience between having Susie as a server or John as a server or 
having a hostess that greets them. It shouldn't matter. There should be a standard of service. So I was already paying everyone higher than minimum. And we, I was told that Hillsburg couldn't handle a no tipping model. So I sort of bit my tongue and didn't go all in for a year and a half. And it continued to eat away at me. Um, because what I saw here in real life was that when tips would come in, staff would vie to serve the customers that they knew were tippers. And uh, again, as a social worker, my heart gets involved in that. And I don't care if it's someone who's coming in for dollar 25 coffee for and they're going to sit there for two hours because they're lonely or whether it's someone coming in on a Saturday night and they're spending 125 dollars they still deserve the same level of service so we in 2018 I simply gathered my staff together and I said this is how I feel this is what I want to do how are you feeling about it and for the most part I would say that because of my leadership and the way I run my restaurant, they all understood it. And while it wasn't easy, we agreed to go to a pooled tipping model where based on the hours worked, everyone got the exact same amount. And it was not without struggle. There were a few times where we had issues where someone would get, say, a big tip And they would have a natural response of, oh, I don't want to share that. But we have weekly team meetings here and um, and we talk about feelings. We talk about mental health. We talk about how their own personal lives are going and work-life balance. It's a regular part of our conversation around here, which I would say is not the norm in a restaurant. And so we would talk about those things. And uh, we always worked them out. And then when we went to living wage model, it was actually January of 2020, not 2019. So two months before the pandemic. <laughs> Excellent timing. Before the pandemic, we went up to $18 an hour. And I said to the staff, it was six months coming. So they had six months to prepare. And we had many, many discussions as a team. And we worked through feelings. But at the end of the day, as the leader in this organization, I said, this is what we're doing. You are no longer servers. You are fanjoy ambassadors. You are part of making a systemic change here where culture in this food establishment is a part of our brand. And you can be on board or not. And those who, because they had lots of notice, those who did not fundamentally agree with it left. And we only, had, we only had one at the end of the day because it was a process. It wasn't a top-down decision. It was a process that involved the entire team where I took into consideration their own unique experiences, what their own financial situations were in their home life. Um, I didn't just say one day, we're going to a no tipping model and we're boosting your pay to living wage and here are your benefit plans. And I think that's a big fundamental key to making it successful or not. 
I couldn't agree more. I wasn't aware. I have to say now I'm looking forward to, I don't, I live about half an hour away. I'm looking forward to when you reopen so I can come in, but I'll definitely look into uh, some of the uh, pickup food and uh, maybe our, treat our family because I'm only about half an hour up the road. Before we wrap up, Pam, tell people where they can find you uh, to find out more about your philosophy and, and, and your products, frankly. Well, you can certainly find us online at chefpamfanjoy.com on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And we are in Hillsburg, Ontario for our storefront, but we have launched a um, partnership with 10C, 10 Carton in downtown Guelph. And we are hoping that by the spring of 2021, we will have a location in Guelph. Uh, We deliver now our gourmet-to-go meals across 10 communities in Wellington County, all the way from Orangeville, Guelph, and into Milton. Oh, very cool. Well, thank you very much, Pam, for taking the time. And uh, I look forward to very soon having a conversation to you uh, with you about the, the sort of fifth element that we alluded to, but, but didn't get into great detail. So thanks again for taking the time. Wonderful. Thanks for having me, Mike. As we wrap up another episode, I want to take a moment to thank Max Graham, We get to have the interesting discussions, and he does the hard work to make us sound good. I also want to thank Zach Von Massow for the original music that we use in the podcast. Check out foodfocusguelph.ca. We have a blog that is updated regularly and our Food Focus trend report as well. You can contact us through the website or at foodfocus at uoguelph.ca if you have any questions or suggestions. We appreciate our audience and your recommendation. It helps us grow. If you are so inclined, give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews move us up the ladder and help others find us. That's it for now. Thanks again for listening and stay in touch.